welcome. Glad you're here. Um, and then Paul and Marg Allen have been here before, but I just, these guys have been married for two months. They're newlyweds right back here and showed up in class today. Great to see y'all. I don't think they wanted to be singled out, but I, got, I did it anyway. So now, um, did you get your firecrackers popped last night? No? The, the, uh, when I was backing out of the driveway, there was a, there was a fire truck in the neighborhood. I thought, uh-oh. Um, Johnny's family was having a, a little kind of a, uh, extended family 4th of July cookout at their house. And one of the special treats that year was the lighting of the fireworks. They had bought, dad had gone and bought some Roman candles and bottle rockets and, you know, all those kind of things. And they bought them out of state because they were illegal in their state. So uh, dad's pretty proud of it, but, you know, kind of got to be careful. So just before they were to arrive, all these people to arrive, a cousin calls and says their neighbor's plans had fallen through. And could they bring them to the picnic? They had extra food to bring. Sure, the more the merrier. So upon their arrival and meeting the cousin's neighbor, it was discovered that he's a police officer. <laughs> Father turns as innocently as he can to Johnny and whispers to him uh, to grab the paper bag of fireworks sitting in the kitchen, hide him somewhere quickly. So Johnny disappears and the father changes the topic to the food for the day. This family had brought some chicken for the grill. So the father tells him that the gas grill is all set up to use out back. All you have to do is turn on the gas, push the ignition button, and but here we go. And uh, with the lid still closed. So they head out the back. As Johnny comes back through the front door, dad turns to him and says, that was close. That man's a police officer. And he almost saw the fireworks. Did you hide him real well? Oh, yeah. Nobody will ever think to look in the grill. Well, I wonder how that one turned out. Maybe not all that good. Um, anyway. Uh, I want you to turn with me to the Old Testament book of Micah. We've been in Amos. If you can remember kind of where to get to Amos, it's just to the right of there, not very far. Okay, so if you go to Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, it's to the right of there just a little bit. If you get to Matthew, you've gone too far right, so you need to go back left. Check your uh, table of contents. We'll be in Micah 2 today, and I'll introduce kind of this book. We'll be in here three or four weeks, and uh, we'll be in Micah 3, guess what, next week, okay? So, um, you know, that's kind of how we'll go. Um, now, my question is, as we get started, are you of a more of a cheerleader or a coach? All right, now, uh, no negative reflection on cheerleaders, okay, but... Isn't there a time in the game when somebody needs to pull somebody out of the game and say, you know what, buddy, you're going to be benched because you're not getting it done, and I want to put somebody else in your place. Isn't there a time in every game where we need a coach? Despite the fact that the, the, uh, the, the score is going the wrong way and, and the girls on the sidelines are, are, are shouting, that's okay, that's all right, stay right in and fight, 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 Okay. <laughs> Am, am I right? Huh? I, I did lose my, yeah, okay. Did lose my. No, I don't have the legs for it, I guarantee you. Okay. Uh, what is more necessary? Is it a coach or a cheerleader? Well, the nation of Israel, God knew that they needed a coach, but what they wanted was a cheerleader. Now, let me give you a little background on our friend Micah. Like Amos, uh, by the way, Micah was not a fig picker. But like our friend Amos, the fig picker, uh, the prophet Micah uh, possessed a great passion for justice and for right living among God's people. 
Uh, it's in Micah 6, 8 that we quoted a couple of weeks ago where that wonderful statement of maybe the most salient statement about justice and, uh, and fairness um, occurs in all the Bible. You might want to turn over there and remind yourself of it. Um, it's uh, the Hebrew name Micah means who is like the Lord. And it's interesting that Micah will raise that very question at the conclusion of the book, at the, right at the end of his little book. He'll say, who is like the Lord? And that's kind of a play on his name. Um, there are several men in scriptures named Micah. So we've got to be kind of cure who, uh, sure who this is. The man of interest to us here is mentioned by name only in two places in the Bible. Certainly in Micah 1.1 where he identifies himself. And in Jeremiah 26, 18, uh, their contemporaries, and he's also mentioned there. Amos and Micah may have well been uh, living at about the same time. While Amos's ministry is dated during the reign of Uzziah, um, the king, Micah's occurred during the reigns of Jotham, who was uh, Uzziah's son, and Ahaz, who was Jotham's son, and Hezekiah, who was Ahaz's son. So uh, under three kings, uh, he served right after uh, Uzziah. And, of course, we know from, um, from Isaiah's writing that he, he ministered at least during the time of Uzziah or during Uzziah's death, that period of time. Now, we know that Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah because of that. Um, even though he doesn't mention Uzziah, we kind of can figure that out. Um, I, even though Isaiah himself, another contemporary, as we mentioned, seems to be kind of a court prophet. In other words, um, he... Um, uh, having had a lot of contact with the kings. Micah himself was more in a country boy. He was in the rural areas of Judah. In fact, he mentions a lot of towns in his book um, in Judah that aren't mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. He himself was a village called Morasheth, which is about 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem. And, uh, and one of the things we kind of realize in Micah's writing is that the smaller places need... Uh, ministry too. The smaller places need, uh, towns need to hear God's message just as much as the city dwellers in Jerusalem. This was a time of great turmoil and uncertainty for both Israel and Judah. We've been talking about in Amos's prophecy to the north that the Assyrians were about ready to, to, um, to invade. And, um, um, and so uh, Israel and Judah are both in peril when Micah's ministry begins. In fact, um, we're going to learn that they're going to be the instruments in God's hands to carry out. The Assyrians will, will be the instruments in God's hands to carry out his judgment against this northern kingdom uh, when Samaria finally falls in 722 B.C. Micah's message was not just leveled at one, but it was leveled at the north, Israel, and the south, Judah. Uh, his book begins with a reference in Micah 1.1 to both Samaria and Jerusalem. The people in their defiance of God had become so arrogant and smug, they were confident that the Lord would do nothing to hold them accountable for the way that they'd gotten away from him. And Micah's going to go after that. And we're going to see he doesn't waste much time even as, as we get into chapter 2. So we're going to start with Micah's chapter 2, verse 4 today. And I'll refer back to a few verses from 1 and 2 as we go through. But we're going to begin here with a taunt from um, the Lord's enemies. Bob, do you mind read for us verse 4 and 5?
Okay. Did that get get us through it there? Okay. Now let me let me share with you a couple things here about what's going on here. All right. Uh, Micah is going to uh, talk to them, uh, and he's going to begin to describe here what is going to ha- what is going to happen is a taunting. That's the word that needs to go in your blank of an enemy. Now I put a couple of references in there because the word that's used, um, by the way, in your verse four. Is the word taunt used? It is in mine, but it, I don't think it is in the NIV. Is it? Uh, one of them I read used the word um, ridicule. Bitter lamentation. Okay, so the word ridicule, the word taunt, all are in play. But it's actually, I put a couple of references here. It's actually the word that's used in Ecclesiastes and in Proverbs to talk about a proverb. Interesting. Uh, we'll kind of deal what, with kind of what that exactly means, but it's really a taunt. Uh, it's it's a um, kind of a song of ridicule. Now, um, now what I want to share with you now is not a song of ridicule. We have we have a a uh, a poet among us, right? A proverbial poet. Here's his proverb for today. Is this one dated this weekend? Or is this is an older one. Last night. Okay, that's that's pretty contemporary. All right. The title of this one is Our America. Now, by the way, this kind of fits some of Micah's talk here. People these days have forgotten their story. I'm sorry, let me start again. Our America. People these days have forgotten her story. This brings tarnish to her glory. She stood in honor of millions of men as they fought for her again and again. She's gotten older and it's turning a page. Let's not let her down because of her age. Oh, America, America, God shed his grace on thee till selfish gain no longer stain the banner of the free. That's pretty good. Joe, thank you. Okay, now that's not a taunt, is it? That's, but that's encouragement, that he's being a coach to the country. Well, what, what Micah is referring here to are those who are, um, who are, after it's all kind of said and done, they're going to be taunting the people um, and kind of ridiculing them. They'll take up a taunt against you. Now, the people don't see that. They think, you remember, uh, this is kind of the same period of time as Amos was talking about. They're kind of fat and sassy. Remember, they've learned to to dine while reclining. You know, by the way, we need to think about that. There are lots of restaurants in this city. Maybe we could come up with one called Recline and Dine. (laughs) I'd go, you know. I'm I'm not too proud. I'd go. But, But the idea here is, uh, that, um, that there's a taunt that's going to come. Now, in verse 5, uh, what we're going to call these people are enemies of the truth that Micah's addressing here. And they're, what they're doing here is seeking to reassign the boundaries of God's people. Now, I want us to go back to chapter 2, um, uh, to the first couple of verses of chapter 2. He's going to talk about this. Woe to those who scheme iniquity, who work out evil on their beds, when morning comes, they do it, for it's in the power of their hands. They covet fields and then seize them, they, and houses, and take them away. They rob a man in his house, and a man in his inheritance. Now, what you've got to re- recognize is that uh, much of this territory has been the property of certain tribes and certain families within certain tribes from way back in Joshua's day when the boundaries were set by God himself. Okay? And what has happened is 
as they look at uh, kind of across the fence, let's say, boy, I really like that piece of ground over there. And they, those who have kind of all the power uh, begin to annex that property and just kind of move the boundaries. Very convenient, huh? And Micah sees this, and he sees who it's happening to, to those who are kind of unconnected in the land, and it just makes him really, really mad. And, he, and it makes the Lord mad, and he begins to kind of talk about this. Now, um, the greedy have seized land and uh, kind of claimed it as their own. But what he's saying here in verse 5 is that the oppressors will one day, when the Assyrians get here, Micah is saying the oppressors will become the oppressed. And I'll say it one other way. This may not even be a word, Sally. You're a school teacher, okay? The Caesars, I don't know, this is not C-A-E. This is the, those who are seizing, doing the seizing. The Caesars will become the seized. All right? It's going to happen, he says, and it's going to happen in his lifetime and theirs. Why? Because according to Joshua 18, where the land is all parceled out, the land actually is God's, not theirs. It was, it was intended to, to remain within these tribal um, uh, properties uh, kind of in per perpetuity. And now they're seizing from one another. So he's, he's kind of dealing with this. Now, um, I read this week about a small town where two men robbed at a convenience store on a Sunday morning. Uh, the store had a convenience uh, a surveillance camera, so they, they really were smart enough to take the video cassette from the camera before they left. Smart, right? But not all that smart. Let me continue. The police had been called, however, and they soon caught the thieves with the video still in their possession. It gets better. One of the policemen inquired, I know I shouldn't ask this, but why didn't you dispose of this tape that proves you're the thieves? Their answer, you ready? We didn't have time because we knew it would make us late to church. <laughs> What's wrong with that story? All kinds of things is wrong with this, right? Now, what's wrong with this, with this attitude? And I'm going to get really stinky here, so just forgive me for the next one minute. What's wrong with the attitude that says, I need you to sign over your Social Security check to me so that I can get not a plane, but a bigger plane? Read about it. It's in the news right now. Okay. What's wrong with that? Well, there's all kinds of things wrong with that, isn't there? And, and the issue is, is it not um, uh, that we might claim one thing, but we're acting in direct opposition to I our identification as those who follow Christ. In, in their case, as those who were God's holy people. And it kind of turn, turns God's stomach, and it turns Micah's stomach, and he begins to preach about it. Now, we want to look here. I'm going to ask, ask Bob to read for us a little bit. Uh, we're going to read on here. If Bob, if you don't mind to pick up in, chapter, in verse 6, um, we're going to read on here a little bit, but I think it's really interesting what, what, what their reaction to Micah's preaching is, okay? Now, I want us to catch this. Bob, would you just for right now read 6, 7, and 8? 
Okay. Six and seven, we're going to camp out in just for a few minutes, okay? Verse six and verse seven, just for a few minutes. Can I get somebody to go back to Amos 7.16? So we're going to go back a couple of books to your left. Amos 7.16. I think that's what I wrote. Yeah, 7.16, okay? And somebody else, if you would, go a little further back to the left to Jeremiah 26. And I want us to read about Jeremiah's story in, in Jeremiah 26, verse 7 through 11. Somebody get that one? Eileen, great. Okay, now, here's the problem, okay? This is, <laughs> this is not only from their day, but it's really blatant here, okay? The problem is the people in the pew are trying to tell the preacher what not to preach. Am I reading this right? I think I am. The people in the pew are saying, no, don't preach that. And it's interesting, the word they use for prophecy here, which is the word for preaching in the Old Testament, and really kind of in the, in the New Testament, okay? The word prophecy is not the typical word used for prophecy in a good sense. The word prophecy here is, is the word for, Skip, you'll like this one. You ready? A steady dripping. Drip, drip, drip. It's a, it's a word of derision. It's, uh, you remember, is it... Um, it, what is it in the Proverbs, I think, where he, somebody talk, uh, uh, Solomon talks about a contentious woman being like a, like a steady dripping of a faucet? Okay? The, the issue is those who are sitting in the pew are saying, your words to us are like the dripping of a tap. Stop it, they're saying. Now, Micah's not by himself in this. Amos got the same reaction. Amos 7, 16. Cindy, you got that? The word prophesy is the same word, dripping. Okay? Interesting. These people are, you know, they're equal opportunity, right? Uh, now let's look at what happened in Jeremiah's day. It's going to be similar uh, period of time. Uh, Jeremiah, um, uh, I'll put it in there, 26, 7 through 11. Eileen? same word that's used to describe Micah's preaching and Amos's preaching is used to describe Jeremiah's preaching, a dripping, they just don't like it, and they're hating it enough, they want to put him to death. By the way, you read the story of Jeremiah, it's quite a story of all the things he got into at the hands of, quote, God's people, end quote. Now, what we've got to deal with here is... Um, the calling of a preacher to be a watchman on the wall, warning the people of what's to come. 
And yet, there's a desire here to say, would you just shut up? And what's the result? They didn't heed the warning. And it had a disastrous result. Now, uh, a, a talk show host was heard recently saying uh, in a survey that 80% of Americans think that the country is going downhill morally. Okay, I don't find any trouble believing that. But it's interesting uh, that, that this same talk show host said that means that, another, that 20% think that morals are improving. Okay? Now, what you've got, you and I have got to kind of deal with is how do, how do that 20% define morality? If governments pass laws like this last week or so, then that indicates that people are becoming more tolerant, Right? Abandoning the narrow-minded views of the past. Therefore, the moral levels are improving, right? So, to that segment of the population, allowing abortion on demand, etc., means we are forsaking previous intolerance and becoming more moral, right? We dare not mistake God's patience here as tolerance. I'm glad he's patient. We dare not take, interpret God's patience as approval of immorality. Isaiah himself said it this way in chapter 5. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. We've got to be really, really careful of that, especially in our day when things just seem to be dropping the wrong way. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm having to deal with this in my own life in what, where I need to be more aware, more um, versed in these things, and maybe a little more tolerant. But I want to have the tolerance and the patience that God has, not something that he never intended. So, I want to be unlike Micah's audience here. Now, look at the first part of verse 7 that Bob read for us a little bit ago. The first part of it. There's a rhetorical question being asked. It is being said, O house of Jacob, is the spirit of the Lord impatient? Are these his doings? Okay, now, uh, the idea here is that um, the people are using, and, and Micah's quoting, this rhetorical question to deal with, isn't, uh, they're saying, isn't God tolerant? Isn't he patient? Well, the answer to that is obviously yes, but doesn't there come a time Micah's dealing with? So if you look at the second half of the verse, he asks his own uh, rhetorical question. You could argue that the Lord asked his own rhetorical question uh, in the second part of verse 7. Um, do not my words do good? To the one walking uprightly? Do you see how that word, that question is, is a rhetorical question? God is saying to them, um, to the person who walks uprightly, I will do good things. I will do to the people who walk uprightly. I will respond uprightly. Now, um, uh, and, and I began to think about a little bit this week what he means there. And, and by the way, the, what goes in the blank for verse 7 those on the wrong side of this issue in Micah's day think that a more tolerant view of God is needed. Now, by the way, this is a very contemporary statement. 
I'm not even going to comment on it further. A very contemporary statement that a more tolerant view of God is needed. Um, I'll let you re reach your own conclusions on that in your own reading and prayer and work. But what we've got to deal with here, I think, is what is meant by, and I began to think about, if God responds with good to those who are walking uprightly, what does that word uprightly mean? What do you think? I'm sorry? A godly walk. Now, it's interesting because their image of it, I think I put, um, I may have put, a, oh, look at verse 3, same chapter. This is before we started reading. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, because, behold, I'm planning against this family a calamity from which you cannot remove your necks, and you'll not walk haughtily, for it will be an evil, evil time. There is a picture there in the second part of verse 3 is a picture of a person walking uprightly, but they've got their chest jutted out. And they're walking, walking haughtily. It's a different image. What does it mean in my day to walk uprightly? This is a hard thing. I'm sorry? Certainly in a way that honors God. What's our question we've been using for the last couple of weeks? Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. It's one of the ways I can walk uprightly. Cindy? You're touching on a very important point. How can I know what God values if I don't read his book? How can I know how Jesus walked if I don't look at his story and deal with his teachings so that I can walk like him? By the way, I'll, I'll say this. Thank the Lord this is not true in my home. You know how sometimes... Older couples, after they've been married 50 or 60 years, start looking like each other. <laughs> Rhonda says, glad that hasn't happened in our house after 38 years. But the truth is, if I want to look more like Jesus, I need to hang out with him more. Don't you think? To walk uprightly. I, I think you're thinking the right way. Now look at verse 8. The Lord here begins to, in his kind of indictment against them, begins to cite examples of heartless actions. The idea of um, a seizing, um, uh, literally, the clothes off of people's back. Uh, and, and the image is, look at verse 8 again. Recently, my people have risen as an enemy. You stripped the robe off, robe off the garment from unsuspecting passers-by, from those returned from war. It's kind of the idea of... Uh, uh, He's using the imagery here of a, of a soldier coming back from war who feels like they can plunder everybody because they won the war. Okay? Taking the shirt off of somebody's back, literally, is kind of the thought. Uh, and the word here is heart, the, kind of the, the imagery here is, is of heartless living. That's what goes in that blank. Now, look at verse 9. Uh, Bob, you want to read 9, 10, and 11? He did say wine and beer. 
We'll deal with that in just a minute. Just wanted to let you know, he did say wine and beer there. We'll deal with that in a sec, okay? Uh, in my translation, it says wine and strong drink. Okay, but the NIV says wine and beer. Now, we'll deal with that in just a minute. Uh, I know your mind is elsewhere now, so come back to, to verse uh, 9. Uh, uh, one of the things that I think is beautiful about the Lord our God and about his son Jesus who, who demonstrated this when he was walking the planet and inspires those to write about it even after he's gone is that if anybody is interested in justice, it is our God who is most interested in those in our society who are the most vulnerable to abuse. Now who does that sound like in our society? Certainly what Deidre shared with us early on, um, children sometimes. I, have, I happen to think about it in terms of, uh, and, and by the way, in, in verse 9, uh, fathers aren't mentioned here, so we can imply in that, and I, I don't think I'm pressing too much into Scripture, that we're dealing with those, these women and children that are mentioned here who are fatherless. So this is, we're talking about uh, either widows or uh, those who I think are, are maybe the most disenfranchised in, in our world, even in the U.S. and even in Oklahoma, and that is the single mom. Now, I know many of you in here may have lived a period of time as a single mom, and my heart goes out to you for a couple of reasons, because I think, uh, for one, uh, you guys are heroes. I, I don't know how you do it. Single dads, it's a similar position, but trying to do this on my own, the second thing, the reason my heart goes out to you, and the second reason I think single moms in particular are heroes is because the Bible constantly is dealing with, with their need to be protected and helped and cared for and encouraged, etc., etc., etc. So if you're a single mom in here this morning, I'm just saying the Bible thinks you're a hero. And I do too. I... I I think it's beautiful the way this is presented here. And I've just got to ask you the question. Do you think God cares about the plight of those who are most unconnected in our world today? I think Micah 2 is at least one example of the fact that he does. I think the life of Jesus illustrates that very well. Now, in verse 10, the tables are beginning to be turned. And I think this is really interesting here because he, re he references here in verse 10, um, what he got to realize is that in verse 9, he's talking about those who are disenfranchised, those who are needy in our society, in, in their society, and, and really in ours. And in verse 10, the Lord says, it's not, it's not these guys who are kicking people out of their homes anymore. It's God now. It's his voice in verse 10. And so the idea here that the enemies of God are now in the process of being evicted. I kind of like that. What does he say to them? Verse 10. My, ver my version says, arise and go. Get up and get out of here. I kind of like that, do you? There's enough need in my life for justice that I kind of like this. I like it when God says, get out of here, you know? Um, I, I, have you ever, did your dad maybe sometime in your past ever stand up in the middle of something not going right and say, get out of here? It made you love him, didn't it? He took my case. 
He pled my cause. I was, I was eating lunch at a local restaurant on Thursday, and I looked across, and I, I promise you, okay, I promise you, this sitting across from me, elderly man, who I'm just really sure was the guy in my junior high who was the only teacher ever to give me licks. The only time I ever got called to the principal's office was Mr. Epperly. You remember Mr. Epperly? I think I saw Roger Epperly at lunch, and I got scared again. <laughs> and he literally caught me doing something that he didn't think I should be doing. He said, you come into my office first thing in the morning. I didn't sleep that night. I had mom go with me, you know, to try to plead my case. He, he basically said, I know you're a teacher, and this is good, but I got to take care of this. And mom said, you're on your own path. See you, see you at home tonight. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Two, three, I don't know. I, 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 it still hurts, though, so, you know. It's, but what I wanted was somebody to plead my case. Now, God is pleading the case. He's saying to them, get away from here. Get out of here. You're no longer going to do this. Now look at the last verse again. If a man walking after wind and falsehood had told lies and said, I will speak out to you concerning wine and liquor, or wine and beer, as it was in the, uh, in the NIV, he would be a spokesman to this people. Now, this is a very cynical statement. What's it saying? You need to write the word, uh, the final verse uses cynicism or satire. What do you think it means? Literally, what, we, what they want, I started to say what we want, is from the pulpits of the land, we don't want challenge. We want Pleasant topics. So, literally, prophesy for us wine and beer. What, a, what an interesting message comes out. Prophesy for us wine and beer. Again, a dripping. A dripping. I want you to look at chapter 3, verse 8, just real quickly. I'm going to borrow my own thunder from next week. Here's what Micah says, though, comes from him. It's not a dripping, and he's not prophesying wine and beer. He says, on the other hand, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and courage to make known to Jacob his rebellious act, even to Israel his sin. Okay, now, here's my question for us to close. There are many times when um, all of us need a little mercy, Right? I wrote several expressions that are common in our language. Um, you may say occasionally, mercy. Or you might say, mercy sakes. Or you might say, mercy me. Uh, I had a little friend um, in, in eastern Kentucky named Opal. And Opal had an expression like this. It was the same expression. But she would say something that caught me off guard every time she'd say it. Rhonda, you remember it? She'd say, oh, help I'm glad I heard well in those days, you know. All right. Now, by the way, this prayer, mercy sakes, mercy me, oh mercy, is an ancient prayer, really. It's a prayer that's interestingly in the, in the old Roman Catholic, Catholic liturgy that, that stems from about three or 400 uh, A.D. In the old Roman Catholic liturgy that, that continues still today, it's a, 
there's a word, a, a, a couple of words that, that, are, that are translated um, into the modern liturgy, the modern mass, that are not even translated from the original language, which is Greek. In a Latin mass, these are maintained in Greek. It's the words Kyrie eleison. For those of you who've got any kind of Roman Catholic background, you're nodding your head, you've heard it. Kyrie eleison. Lord, have mercy. You see, we need to pray that, don't we? Lord, have mercy. Lord, when I read of the Supreme Court's decision, I need to say, Lord, have mercy. Kind of, don't I? And it needs to be more than just an exclamation. It needs to be a prayer. But here's the, here's the issue. In Luke 18, uh, G, Jesus talks about the tax collector who prays that prayer. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. In... Um, in Matthew 18, he talks about the unforgiving servant who, though he wanted mercy, wasn't willing to give it. And so I've got to ask myself in the context of this issue of justice, there are times when all of us need a little mercy, but here's my question. When is the last time you extended some to someone else? I think that's how I can begin to walk uprightly in my day, at least in this context. Is there someone in your world that really is far overdue for a little bit of mercy. To give them the benefit of the doubt. To give them a break. Would, would you kind of deal with that as we kind of go on with this? I'm going to try to continually flesh out this idea of justice in our world. But the way I'm fleshing this particular message out is asking myself, who in my life do I need to deal a little mercy to? Only you can answer that. And if you can't answer it, maybe during this service today, ask the Holy Spirit to tell you. I guarantee you he will. Okay, we'll be in Micah 3 next week. Look forward to meeting you there.